Well, good morning again, and welcome to week number four of things you didn't expect to hear from your pastor. And uh, I've got a statement today that initially may shock you, so I'm I'm hoping that you'll hang in with me uh, to the end so that I can make sense of it for you. Uh, Let me take a few moments and review what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. This series, Things You Didn't Expect to Hear from Your Pastor, is really a series that's geared at sharing the heart of our church with you. So if you are new here or uh, haven't been but a few times, this is a great series for you just to hear a few of the things that make us different from maybe some other churches in town. Uh, We like to think that we embrace our uniqueness because God's called us to be um, a different type of church, to reach different people who may not be reached at some other churches. And so uh, this series is kind of our opportunity just to share some vision and some of our heart for our church with you uh, to help kind of clarify and define some of who we are. Uh, So let me kind of review with us real quick. The first week, um, I made this statement. I said, our church is not trying to reach everyone because we are passionate about reaching anyone. Our church is not trying to reach everyone, meaning we're not going to cater to the preference of the masses uh, to kind of dumb down what we're doing so that everyone likes it because we're passionate about reaching anyone. See, we, we long to be a church. We work really hard to be a church that anyone, no matter what their background, what their history with the church, can come and receive what we believe is hope that's found in Christ. And in the second week, uh, I made this statement. Our church is driven by the numbers. Have you ever heard that? Churches just care about numbers. They want to they brag about their statistics. And I said that our church is a church that does care about numbers because every number represents a life. And we said that we wanted to be a church that reached as many people as possible. And if you'll remember in this uh, week two, I introduced to you um, a growth initiative that we're about to kick off in a couple of weeks called X2. And we've set a goal, um, eight specific goals actually, by which we're seeking and praying and asking God to help us double our church over the course of the next year. And so I encourage you, if you weren't able to be here for week two, to go and catch the podcast or the website and listen to that message uh, so that you can hear specifically some things that we're praying and asking God to help us accomplish. Uh, And then last week, I came back and I said that our church doesn't need anything from you because we aim to provide something for you. And I reminded us that, that Jesus doesn't need us to accomplish his will in the earth. But isn't it incredible that he gives us the opportunity to play a significant role in his story here on the earth? And so here at Synergy, we like to say that we don't have needs, but we have lots of opportunities. And I shared with you specifically in regards to our new X2 growth initiative that's kicking off in a couple of weeks, that beginning August 3rd, we're going to move to two worship experiences on Sunday mornings. Instead of having one worship experience time at 1030 We will then, uh, from that point forward, have two worship experiences, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. And so we have more opportunities for you to get involved and serve and allow your uh, life to make a difference and be part of God's story. And so uh, we hope that you'll uh, take us up on that and make sure you get involved and take a step. Uh, But today I want to share the final message in this series with you and help you understand some of the heart that we have as a church to reach people. And I'm going to make a statement. And when you hear the statement, you're initially going to cringe and you're going to feel like, you know, um, I have heard this about the church and he's confirming it. And you're going to want to like, just kind of 
say, you know, I'm kind of done with the church again. Maybe you've been hurt by the church, and so I'm just asking you in advance to kind of hang with me as we talk through this statement. Here's here's the statement that I'm going to make today. Our church wants your money. Our church wants your money. And I can feel the tension in the room. No one's giving me amens. You're like, I don't know if I want to amen that. I don't really really resonate in my heart. My church wants my money. I grew up large part from the time I was uh, seven years old or so after my parents uh, who were once divorced, were remarried. Um, They committed their lives to, to Christ, to God, and to the church. And from the time I was six or seven when that happened, uh, my parents always had my brother and I. My brother and his daughter are with us this morning from Florida. Um, we were always in church. And so for us, giving money to the church was a normal part of our life. Um, my parents believed in a biblical principle called tithing. And, and my brother and I, we can remember uh, when my parents would get paid that they would make a check and they would write a check out to the church and, and they would have a magnet and they would stick it on the refrigerator until Sunday when they would take that off the refrigerator and they would take it to the church. I remember it um, as clearly as ever. There were even times that they would sit us down and as they wrote the check, they would remind us why they're giving money to the church. So for me, uh, giving money to a church is, is normal. Like I grew up in a home that did that. Uh, when, when I became old enough to, to just have little side jobs and I would go with my grandfather to cut grass with his lawn business and I would make a hundred bucks, my parents would teach me, you know, you take 10 of those dollars and you give them to the church. And from the time I was little, that was part of my life. And so I thought that was normal that people who went to church, who claimed to follow Jesus, just believed that and they did that. And uh, as I got older and, and finished college and took my first job right out of college as a student pastor at a church over in Athens, uh, I began to hear things, even probably during my college years, I began to hear things um, that people would criticize the church because they claimed that the church wanted their money. Um, and, and honestly, if I'm being real with you, I could see some reasons why they would make those statements. Um, that there have been churches and there have been pastors and there have been men and women in ministry who have abused finances, who have mishandled finances in the church, who have used people's money uh, to live a luxurious life that in their mind just didn't seem like it was a worthy cause to give their money to. And so I guess in their minds, the church became this money-hungry organization that wanted to use their money to fuel their desires and they wanted to have bigger and better buildings and they wanted to live bigger and better lives with nicer homes as pastors and drive nice cars and have nice clothes and so I began to hear this skeptical approach to money in the church and um, I had just never heard that before because of the home that I grew up in but throughout my ministry I began to to realize more and more the the dilemma that people, especially outside of the church, face when they talk about people giving money to church. But even in all that time, you know what kind of baffles me a little bit is there are a lot of organizations that people give money to. Do you realize that? Uh, I I saw a study just the other day um, that says it's estimated that uh, 42 and a half Almost $43 billion will be given away uh, almost every year throughout the world. 
that's a lot of money. That's, that's a lot of money that people take out of their own possession and give to other individuals or organizations because they thought that there was a need by which they could make a difference. It was a cause they believed in. People have given money to the Red Cross and, and cancer research organizations. They've given money to, to needy children and to uh, organizations that help the homeless. Uh, they give money to organizations that help children in schools. They give money to help research diseases that haven't been cured yet. And there's all these organizations that receive money from people. And I began to notice that no one ever made statements like, Relay for Life, they only want my money. Like, that's such a terrible organization. All they want from me is my money. Like, I never heard anyone say that. And I would never hear anyone say, like, like toys for tots. Like, they're going to provide presents for kids at Christmas time that aren't going to have presents. And people would ask people for money to help give Christmas presents to kids. And I've never heard anybody say, you know, that's just a money-hungry organization. All they want is my money. And it kind of confused me because I said, well, why... Why do they criticize the church for wanting their money, but they don't criticize other organizations for wanting their money? And it began to kind of resonate with me that maybe they don't completely believe in the cause of the church as much as they do some other things because they see more tangible results. Here's some, some statistics. These are some things that, um, that you probably know that I just want to remind us of. Uh, back in 2012, you may remember that there was a, a presidential campaign. There was an election. It was an election year. Um, and, and both the Republican and Democratic Party, uh, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, um, do you know that they both raised over $1 billion for their campaigns? That's B with, uh, it's billion with a B, like a million millions. That's a lot, a lot of money. Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Most of that money was given within one to two years. People giving accumulated $1 billion knew that there was a 50% chance that their money would be wasted. That they would give money to someone who was seeking election that would not get elected. And yet they still gave $1 billion in hopes to put someone in a position of authority to hopefully do things in our country that they think would be beneficial to themselves and to others. Now, that's a lot of money. And you know what I never heard throughout the campaign? I never heard President Obama, he just wants my money. And Mitt Romney, he just wants my money. Like, like, no one criticized them for that. I mean, they may have gotten criticized about the way they've spent their own personal money. But I never heard people, when you saw commercials and you saw advertisements, I never heard anybody saying, you know, these, these politicians, they just want my money. Now, when it comes to taxes, you feel that. But when it comes to the campaign itself, you didn't feel that, did you? Like, universities. I graduated from college in 2002, and within six months, I received my first support letter from my college. Like, I just graduated, and my college sent me a letter in the mail asking me to donate to the college. And I was thinking, 
I just, like I just graduated. I just have gotten my first job. Like wasn't there tuition and money that was paid? And fortunately for me, I had a scholarship. So I kind of felt like maybe I should send them some money because I didn't really spend much money to go to college. But I didn't think in my mind, what a selfish organization. You know, that college only wants my money. I never thought it. It didn't cross my mind. Maybe it does for some of you, but it never crossed my mind. And now that college has gotten themselves into some financial trouble. There's, there's some cash shortages at that college. And, and some of it is largely due to some bad leadership. That there was like one and a half million dollars that they needed to kind of continue the college operating the way it was. They've gotten a brand new sports facility. They've gotten a brand new dorm. Things are looking great on campus. And then you hear there's a shortage. And what do they do? They go to the denomination that's backing it and they send out videos and they ask, we need you to give money to our organization, to our university so that we can continue the college. And you know, they've almost raised a million dollars. And I don't think people said, you know, they're just a selfish, and and this was a university that could be criticized and has been criticized. They didn't say, you know, they just want my money. That's all they want in a critical way. This will blow your mind. I just read this uh, yesterday, actually. University of Georgia. Their fundraising efforts in 2014, for the fiscal year of 2014, this was just reported June the 30th, just a few weeks ago. They had a record-breaking fundraising year at the University of Georgia. You know how much money they raised? They raised $126.4 million for that university. $126.4 million dollars this university raised by asking people to give money for their, to their university so that people could have better educations. And people criticize how universities spend money, and there's, there's corrupt leaders in universities, but no one says, those colleges are just greedy colleges. They just want my money. They're not really critical like that. One of the things that this report reported that the university was so proud of, especially with this being a record-breaking year of fundraising, in 2011, they raised $126.2 million instead of $126.4 million. And this was what they were really proud of in their effort. Uh, they said that there were no single major gifts this year that impacted that bottom line of $126.4 million. Because back in 2011, when they had their highest giving ever to date, there was a $42.5 million gift that kind of padded that number. So they had a record-breaking year in 2011 and raised $126.2 million. But someone gave $42.5 million to the university that year. Now, that's a lot of money. Think about $42.5 million and what you could do with that. And someone felt it in their heart to give that to a school because why? They believed in it. Are they wrong for doing it? No. I'm not saying that. You can do what you want to do with your money. But why is it that when the church says, we want your money, we're criticized? And people are skeptical. And we're, we're portrayed as money-hungry organizations. I know why, because there have been people in the church world that have abused it. And it has been uh, passed on, judgment has been passed on the church as a whole. We could talk about college football. There are people probably even in this room that are going to spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars to watch college football games this year. 
that are going to donate money to athletic organizations and boosters clubs to help provide better facilities for athletes. And at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're watching 20-year-old kids running around on a field playing a game. And no one says, you know, they're going to build a bigger stadium and they're asking for money. They're just a money-hungry organization. We could talk about the mascot even for University of Georgia and how much money goes into giving a dog the best life possible because we value that dog. But, but that's not criticized. We could talk about hospitals. We could talk about research institutes. We could talk about uh, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, how people ask for your money. And no one says, no one says, all they want is my money. They're not criticized. You may have heard in the news lately that there was a Kickstarter campaign by which a young man raised $61,147 to make potato salad. Like people gave $61,000 for someone to make potato salad. And you can do what you want with your money. But I'm just saying, no one says this guy, he's just some money-hungry, stingy person because he's allowed people to give that much money to his endeavor to make potato salad. Yet when it comes to the church, we're criticized. And here's the truth. Just like every other organization that wants your money, why do they want your money? Because they believe that the cause by which they support The cause by which they represent is making a difference in the world. And they realize that the more money they have, the more fuel they have for their cause. And they can do more to support their cause with your money and with my money. And I'm here this morning just to make this statement to you. Our church wants your money because the return on your investment is eternal. We're not like trying to cure a disease And we're not trying to help hurting people exclusively. We do that, but it's for a bigger reason. It's for an eternal reason that will last forever. It's because we believe that our cause is so much greater than any other cause in the world that the more money we had to fuel that cause, the bigger difference that we will make in the lives of people. It's an eternal difference. It's not just a temporary difference. I think think that one of the things that people are most skeptical of is how is my money being used? I'll give money, but I want to know how it's being used. And um, I don't feel like I have to tell you this, but I just want you to know, in case you're you're skeptical or wondering... um, I don't like live a luxurious life because of my role as the pastor in this church. Okay? Our budget is $10,000 a month. We, we don't take in a ton of money. Okay? That's very insignificant compared to a lot of churches in this area, even churches our size. Okay? Of the money that we take in, you, you, you probably don't need to know this, but I take less than 25% of the dollars for me and my family as a salary. Okay? Now, Of that money that I take, back three years ago when I started planning this church, my wife and I said, God's called us to plant a church, we're going to plant a church. We went out and we raised support for this church. And I still receive, of the salary that I receive, over a third of the money that I take from this church comes from people that will never attend this church. They simply love my wife and I. 
and they believe in what God's called us to do, and they give money to this church because they believe in it. Okay, So just in case you think, I'm asking you to give more money to our church because I need a new car, or I'm asking you to give money to this church because I want to buy a new house, or I'm asking you to give money to this church because I want to live a better life. Um, I just need you to know that that's just not the case. In, case, in fact, in fact um, it would be illegal for me personally According to the bylaws that our nonprofit organization has set in place at Synergy Church to take more than 35% of the money that comes into this church in a given year. It's illegal for me to do that. I could go to prison for it if I take more than 35% of the dollars that come into this church. So you just need to hear my heart like this morning. If you feel like this guy's telling me to give money to his organization because he wants to live a better life, that's not my heart in today at all. It's not my heart in today at all. It's because I believe so strongly in the mission of the church, globally, around the world, that if we have more money to do what God's called us to do, we can make a bigger difference. I would love, I think it would be easier for us to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus if we had our own facility. And you know what it's going to take for us to get our own facility? I mean, it's going to take some prayer, and it's going to take some hard work. Um, but at the end of the day, like, Somebody can write a check, and we could have a facility like within some months. Okay, it's it's a money issue. If we had more money, we could accomplish more. I would I would love to have a full time staff of people who are specially trained and 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 serving in the roles of ministry of the church. I think that our church would benefit from it, and we could accomplish so much more. And you know, the only reason we don't is we don't have the money. We don't have the funds. We don't have the resources to go out and hire people who are making lots of money in bigger churches to come to our church and do what God's called us to do. And so we have volunteer staff. And God uses us in incredible ways. I'm so thankful for what God's doing. But my heart today is to share with you the reason why it's important for us as followers of Jesus to give money to the local church. Now, I'm going to transition here, and I'm going to teach you some things that the Bible teaches us about giving financially. But before I do, let me, let me kind of give this caveat. If you're here this morning, and you don't believe in the Bible, you don't believe in Jesus, you're here, you're skeptical, you're just here to check things out. Someone, someone just invited you, and you're like, you know, I, I wonder what this whole church thing's about. Um, I'm not telling you that you even have to believe this. Okay? I give you permission to kind of be skeptical and just say, I don't really buy into that right now. Okay? But... But if you're here today and you say, you say like, I'm a follower of Jesus. I claim to be a Christian. I want to live a life that pleases God. Then I'm going to teach you some things that the Bible teaches. And you just need to know that these are things the Bible teaches um, that aren't punishments to your life, but they provide blessings for your life. Okay? Now, when it comes to giving in the church, the Bible gives us a standard. Okay? You might think it's an old school word, but it's a word... Uh, that's called tithe. There's a tithe. The Bible teaches us about the tithe. And, and I know that most of the teaching uh, that comes around this word tithe, which is uh, a word that in the original language means a tenth, um, is found in the Old Testament. And so there's lots of people today that says the tithe doesn't apply to today. I don't have to um, give a tithe. That's, that's Old Testament. We don't live under the Old Testament anymore. And even though Luke chapter 11, uh, 42 to 44, Jesus himself affirms the practice of tithing. He says you should tithe. Okay, so if it's not enough for Jesus, 
um, to say it for you to kind of believe that it's important today. At least, at least understand that there's a principle that's taught through the Old Testament that still applies to your life today. Okay, I don't think that you would say because the Old Testament says thou shalt not kill that it's okay to kill. I don't think that you would say the Old Testament says thou shalt not steal. That's Old Testament. It's okay for us to go out and steal. Okay, so it's not like the Old Testament doesn't apply, but we don't live under the law of the Old Testament. That's true. We live in freedom. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the law. And uh, so, so even if you say that's Old Testament, I don't buy into it as mandatory for today. At least, at least hear me say that there are principles surrounding this issue called tithing. That, that can be unleashed in your life, that can bring blessings on your life. Um, and, and so it's, it's something that I believe strongly in, and, and I believe that this is how the church should be funded. Okay? Um, I don't believe that the church should be standing on street corners selling donuts so that they could turn the lights on every week. I believe the people who call any given local church their home and they belong to that church, I believe that the Bible teaches this is how the church is funded. And we give a tithe, and that is what puts food in the storehouse, as we're about to read. So let me read Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 to 12, and then I'm going to give you 10 truths of tithing. Just in case you've never heard tithing, heard tithing taught, and you don't know what tithing is, maybe you've heard the word, and you're like, I just don't really understand what that's all about. I'm just going to give you 10 quick principles, and then we'll be out of here. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is important. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's, it's written by the prophet Malachi, and Malachi has this theme of returning to God. Uh, in chapter 1, he talks about returning to God in the area of your faith. Chapter 2, he talks about returning to God in the area of your family. Chapter 3 here, he's talking about returning to God in the area of your finances. And so it says, when the, when the Lord says, return to me, it says, you ask, how are we to return to you? Verse 8, will a man rob God, yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? And listen to God's answer, you rob me in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. In other words, he's talking to a nation of people who weren't tithing and who knew to tithe, and they weren't experiencing blessing, but cursings because they weren't tithing. Verse number 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The local church in today's culture would be the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That's how the church is provided for. Test me in this. This is the only time that God will tell you to test him. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus says, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. But this is the one area that God says that you should test him. In other words, he's like, I dare you to try it. Like, I promise it works. Listen to what he says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That sounds like a good deal to me. Test me and tithe and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and give you so much blessing that you can't even contain it. Why wouldn't I at least try it? Why wouldn't I at least try it? Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then, verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. If our church is a tithing church, our church is a blessed church and our church will have food enough, provision enough, resource enough to do everything that God's called us to do. We don't have to send out support letters and we don't have to stand on street corners selling donuts and we don't have to wash cars in parking lots. 
to do what God's called us to do. We simply have to be obedient in what God's called us to do. This is his method by which the church is funded. So, if you've never heard tithing taught, if you feel like it's kind of an outdated practice, let me give you 10 quick truths on what tithing is, and uh, hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you to at least, if you're not a tither, consider testing God in this area. Number one, tithing is not only 10% of your income, it's the first 10% of your income. I want to teach you what tithing is here. The word tithe literally means a tenth. So a tenth of your income is the tithe. But not only is a tenth of your income of the tithe, it's the first 10% that's the tithe. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now the Old Testament teaches us the principles of first fruits and the principles of the firstborn. That if you were a farmer and your your land produced a crop, that you were to take the first fruits, meaning the first yield of crops, and you take them to the Lord as a sacrifice. If you were a farmer and, and you raised cattle or livestock and your livestock produced a lamb or a baby, you're to take the firstborn that is produced, and you take it to the Lord and offer it as a sacrifice. When the children of Israel went to take possession of the promised land, they conquered ten cities. The first city was Jericho. You remember the story. They marched around the city seven times. On the seventh time, they, they yelled, and they blew the trumpets, and the walls came falling down. And you remember what the Lord said? Don't take anything as plunder with you. Nothing. It's sacred. It's holy to the Lord. But the remaining nine cities, he says, you take it all. Because the first is the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. And so tithing isn't just giving 10% of your money, which a lot of people feel like I could never survive if I gave 10% of my money to the church. In fact, I had a conversation with an extremely wealthy individual. I told him, I said, we're planning to, to start a church, and I'm just, I'm curious. Give me some kind of business advice. You're very successful. You know, how can we go about raising more money? And he says, well, I've heard, this is, this is not a Christian he says, I've heard that churches rely on like people giving 10% of their money. They call it a tithe or something like that. He said, I'm just letting you know, I would never give 10% of my money to any church. That's, that's, that's how people view giving money to the church. He said, so my advice to you would be if you think people are going to give a percentage of their income, you should go to like an area of the country that people make a lot of money. And maybe that percentage will be a lot more than a percentage where people don't make money. That was his advice to me. I thought, well, that didn't get me very far because God's called me to Winder, and that's where we're going to be. Not just 10% of your income, the first 10%. That's what tithing is. So when you get paid, if you get paid $100, you give the first $10 to the Lord. Now, here's, here's, here's where we've all been if we've tried to tithe, is we want to make sure the mortgage is paid and the car notes are paid off and we've got food on the table and uh, any needs that are in our family. And then we get to the end of the month and we say, yeah, i got a little left to give, so I'm going to give that to the church. Um, and that's great. You know, if you do that, thank you for giving. That's so generous of you. Um, but you just need to know that that's not the tithe. The tithe is the first 10%. So you make $100, you give $10 to the church, you've given your tithe, you've returned it to the Lord, it belongs to the Lord, and now your 90% is blessed and you live on it. It's a way of trusting God in your finances. You say, I'm going to give to you first, and then I'm going to trust you to provide for the rest. So the tithe is not only 10% of your income, it's the first 10%. Number two, tithing is not giving, it's returning. 
You ever thought that? I'm going to give my tithe to the Lord, but you can't give the Lord something that already belongs to him? You return it to him. It's not giving. It's returning. In Malachi 3, we just read, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So you're bringing it. You're not giving it. He doesn't say give your tithe. So God doesn't need us to give something for ourselves because he's needy. He needs us to return to him what's already his. Now, if you let me borrow, let's just go with a lake house. You got a lake house. It's nice. And you say to my family, you can go there for a week and enjoy my lake house. There's boats out there at the dock, jet skis. I mean, have a blast. And the end of that week comes and you come to your lake house where I've been staying. And I say to you, you know, we've had a great time this week. I'm really considering. I've really just, I just kind of feel led of the Lord. Like, I want to give you this house. I've, my family has enjoyed it so much. We think that you will as well. So I'm just going to give you the keys to this house. And you would say to me, you're not giving me the keys? That's my house. You don't own that house. Now you can give me my keys back because I'll let you have them for a period of time. But you're not giving me that house. And that's the way a tithe is. It belongs to the Lord. It's holy unto him. And we simply return it. Now here's, here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing. We serve a God who is full of grace. Okay? So if you don't tithe... If you don't give God the first and the best in your area of finances, um, I'm not telling you you're going to hell. In fact, I believe in my heart that there's going to be a lot of people in heaven who weren't tithers. I think it's unfortunate because I think they're going to miss out on some blessings on the earth that they could have benefited from. But I don't think this is a matter of salvation. Okay? You say, well, why do you take it to that extent? And you say it's not like legalistic. Um, Well, Jesus had 12 disciples, one of which was named Judas. He was the treasurer. And scripture is clear that he was greedy for money. In fact, Jesus allowed a man to be the treasurer and watch over the money among his disciples who from time to time would take money for himself. He would steal from God's money. And Jesus allowed that. And you say, listen, when you pass the giving buckets in a few minutes, I promise you I would never take any money out of that. That would be stealing from God's house. Wouldn't do it. There's no way I would ever do that. Um, that's my prayer for you too, by the way. That you would never take money out of the giving bucket when it passes. But here's the truth. If you don't give a tithe, then Malachi says you are robbing God. So you might not take money out of a giving bucket when it passes that people are giving, but the tithe represents a portion of your income that belongs to the Lord. And when you give that 10%, when you return it to the Lord, then he blesses the remaining 90. Number three, tithing is a heart issue, not a money issue. It's a heart issue, not a money issue. Here's what Matthew 6, 21 says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart follows our money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this issue of tithing of giving the Lord the first 10% of your income, it's not a money issue. It's not a budgeting issue. It's not, I don't have enough money to do it. It's a heart issue. It's that you haven't allowed your heart to be fully invested in what God has asked of you to return to him a portion of what he is. Verse number, uh, number four. Tithing is an act of worship by way of obedience. 
Tithing is an act of worship by way of obedience. Leviticus 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. When we tithe, it's an act of obedience that's actually us worshiping the Lord. I joke around sometimes when we give you an opportunity to tithe, to, to give offerings at the end of our worship experience. And I say, this isn't a tax on you. We're not charging you an admission fee. I believe that. This isn't like a business transaction. I don't expect you to give on a given Sunday because you enjoyed it or you didn't enjoy it. It's not like if you leave and you didn't give, then we're like marking down, yeah, they didn't give. It's not a business transaction. It's worship. It's a way for you to return to the Lord what he's blessed you with and acknowledge that he's first in your life. Number five, your tithe is given to your local church. Your tithe is given to your local church. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 refers to bringing the whole tithe to the storehouse, which in today's world would be the local church. I've had conversations with people who say, you know, I, I believe in tithing. You know, I, I give like 4% of my money to this, to this missionary that's overseas, and I give 2% of my money uh, to this church over here that, you know, we're good friends with the pastor, and I give another 4% of my money, you know, to this nonprofit organization that's really helping. It's a really great cause in our community, so I give 10% of my money away. You know, I say, well, that's extremely generous of you, but that's not tithing. That's not tithing. Tithing is bringing the first 10% of your income into the Lord's house. And what you give above and beyond that, that's called offerings. And that's like extremely generous of you. And Malachi says, bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. And so we have opportunity to help incredible organizations. Uh, Lindsay and I support um, a child in... um, the Philippines, her name's Lin Lin. We've been supporting her for, for years. We give money every month to her. It's above our tithe. It's an offering. It's an opportunity for us to give and be generous beyond the standard that God has set for us. We're halfway through. You're getting excited, I can tell. You're like, I don't know, what, I don't know about this. He's telling me that the church wants my money. We're going to get to number 10, and you're going to hear my heart. Number 6. Trying to teach you what tithing is. Number six, tithing is the most practical way of showing that Christ is first in your life. It's the most practical way. You want to show that Christ is first in your life? Start tithing. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. When you tithe, when you give, you learn to honor God more and more. You learn to, to revere him more and more. You respect him more and more. Your affection for him grows more and more as a result of trusting him first. It's not a financial transaction It's an act of worship by which we learn to grow in our relationship with Christ by trusting him of his provisions. I didn't expect a lot of you to be like, you know, that's good stuff today. Because this is difficult. It's difficult to give 10% of your money away. The truth is we're not giving it away, we're returning it. 
We're returning it. Verse uh, number seven. Tithing reminds me that the earth belongs to God and everything I have was given to me by God. Tithing reminds me that the earth belongs to God and everything I have was given to me by God. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That includes your possessions. And that includes your money. Everything in the earth, it's the Lord's. You say, but I worked really, really hard for what I have. So you don't understand, like, I have been climbing the ladder. I've been committed. I've been saving. I've been great steward for years and years. That's why I have what I have. But listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. You wouldn't even have the ability to gain wealth if it wasn't for the Lord. I've worked really hard. Yeah, try that without oxygen. That comes from the Lord. Try that without a brain. That comes from the Lord. Try that without an education that was provided by resources that came from the Lord. You may have grown up in a family with lots of resources. You may have had an advantage over other people. And you may experience an upper hand in life now because of that, but you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your upbringing. Everything we have comes from the Lord, and tithing reminds us of that. When we give 10% of our money to the Lord, we're reminded, man, God has blessed me so much. He has. Everything that I have has come from him. And look at my life. It's so incredible. I could have such a worse life, but he has blessed me. And that's what tithing does. It reminds us that. Number eight, tithing is one of the first steps of taking responsibility for your life in the church. We don't, we don't like want to hear this, but this is, this is true. Tithing is one of the first steps of taking responsibility for your life in the church. Do you know that the reason you can hear our band play is because someone gave money to buy equipment so that you could hear our band play? Do you know why this doesn't look completely like a gymnasium right now? Because someone gave money so that we could purchase pipe and drape, a stage, truss, lights, equipment, We don't think about it like that, do we? You're sitting in a seat that we are paying rent on that comes with this facility because someone gave some money that allowed us to have this opportunity to worship in this environment. And when we begin to step up and give money, what are we doing? We're providing now more opportunities for people to experience the things that we've been blessed by. You say, well, I don't have a lot to give, and that's not the importance of what I'm talking to you about today. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. 
What I'm talking to you about this morning isn't a dollar amount. That's why we don't ask you to to make pledges and tell us how much money you're going to give each year so that at the end of the year we can call you and say, you're a little behind, you know, and we kind of based our budget on what you said you would give, and so we kind of need you to kind of come through with what you committed to. We don't do that because we believe it's personal. It's between you and God. It's none of my business what you give to the church. It's none of your business what I give to the church. But when we take responsibility and we do what God's called us to do, then it affords us more opportunities to reach other people. Number nine, God established tithing to be a win, win, win situation. God established tithing to be a win, win, win situation. When you tithe, when I tithe, when we give the first 10% of our income to the Lord, God wins because it shows him that you're submitting your life to his lordship and you're worshiping him and you're revering him more and more. It's a win for God. The church wins because now there's food in the storehouse. There's resources to do what God's called us to do. And here's the best part. And you win. Because now the remaining 90% of your income is blessed. The remaining 90% of your income is blessed. It's a win, win, win. When you tithe, God wins, the church wins, you win. It's not about just the church winning at your expense. It's not a, a money-hungry organization that wants to use your resources to make life better for a few individuals. We all win. It's God's plan. It's a brilliant plan. And number 10, tithing brings tremendous blessing. Tithing brings tremendous blessing. Remember Malachi 3? He says, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that he will open up for you a blessing so large that you can't even contain it. And here's the truth, and you might not see it this way, and it might be hard for you to comprehend. But 90% of your money blessed by God is far greater than 100% of your money that's under a curse. It's just true. It's just true. And you say, so that's the kind of God that you're talking about that would curse somebody for not giving 10% of their money to him? No, he doesn't do it to you. It's the world we live in. The world we live in is cursed. Look around. Everyone struggles with money. Everyone longs to have more money. Everyone doesn't have money enough. It's a cursed world. Your money's under curse, but when you tithe, you come out from under that curse. And now you've got 90% that's blessed. And 90% that's blessed always will be greater than 100%, it's cursed. And what I want for you, and what I have experienced personally in my family, is to have 90% of your money blessed so that you can give even more of it away and find incredible causes. Am I telling you that you should never give money to to a university? Absolutely not. Am I telling you you should not give money to Relay for Life? Am I telling you you shouldn't buy Girl Scout cookies? Am I telling you that you can't adopt pets or give money to organizations that help abused pets? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm just saying, why would you not tithe? If you're going to make a choice between tithing and giving money to a university, why, why would you choose a university over tithing? Now, above and beyond your tithe, absolutely support the university if you believe in it. 
But what can a university do for you that outweighs the blessings of God in your life that aren't just financial, by the way? God's promise isn't if you give 10% of your money, I'm going to make you filthy rich. I can attest to that. But your life is blessed. My family is blessed. I am provided for. I have everything that I need. I want that for you. Tithing brings tremendous blessing. Our church wants your money because your return on investment is eternal. It's eternal. This is the greatest cause on the planet. You'll not convince me of a better cause in the church because this is the avenue, this is the vehicle that God uses to accomplish his mission in the earth. And his mission far outweighs anything in this world. Be generous. Give money away. Help hurting people. But remember the church. And remember the Lord your God. Now I know that I know that you don't feel like today like wow that was so encouraging. I know you're not going to come and give me a hug at the 10 after in just a few minutes and say, man, that was the best message I've ever heard. I'm so much better for it. You're probably going to leave and you're going to think like, who's this guy telling me to give my money to the church? Hear my heart. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. And when we all worship the Lord through this area and do what God's called us to do, we can have such a greater impact for the kingdom because of it. Let me pray for us. Father, the area of finances is so difficult in today's world. It's just such a, it's, it's such a taboo topic because money is abused by people and we perceive money a certain way. My prayer for us all today, Lord, is that we would experience the blessings of being generous. You yourself said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I pray today, Lord, that as we bring our tithe into the storehouse, that not only would there be food in the storehouse, not only would we be provided for here at Synergy, but I pray that you would prevent the pests from devouring the crops of your people. I pray that, that your people would be blessed, that they would experience a blessing that they've never experienced before, by taking that step to trust you with the first 10% of their income. I thank you for providing for our church. I thank you for allowing us the opportunity and the resources to do what you've called us to do. And I pray that you would increase the impact of this church in this community because of the generosity of the people who call this church home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.